Okay, so we want to jump back into our lesson in looking at what we teach about the Son of God. So the first, uh, last week we dug into the first seven slides. So I've, I have uh, put those online. So if you, you know, want to, all the scripture references, you have the handout. But should you want the PowerPoint, I put that online for you as well. So we're just going to pick up with where we, where we left off. <coughs> So we're going to start with the, oh, could someone get the uh, lights? Because with this, they, they put the lights in the wrong way. So you should, should be able to turn off one bank of lights in the front and leave the others on. Leave the back ones on. Yeah, leave those on so that people can write notes. So you can see it better. So we'll just start jump, jumping in where we left off. So I'll just read the statement that's in it's in the doctrinal statement, and then we'll look at the verses that, that support that. So we teach that our Lord Jesus Christ was God incarnate. So John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, I know Jehovah's Witnesses have probably um, scared you off from using this verse, but it's a legitimate verse. It's soundly translated, and despite what Jehovah's Witnesses say, it means what it says, that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, not was a God. So that's the New World Translation with that. So the Greek is clear. Um, the Word was God, not a God. Uh, also, John 1.14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And we'll dig in a little bit more with that as uh, only begotten, but he is the son from eternity when the term begotten is used. It's not referring to biology. So it's referring to life, life, I would say life flowing from the father, but in an eternal sense, not in a biological sense. It's a theological statement, not a biological statement. When we say that uh, the son is begotten from the father. His glory. Uh, again, this just puts him on. It puts him on equal footing with the Father. To say we beheld His glory, it's not just the Son's glory, but the Father's glory, and that would be totally blasphemous if if Jesus was was not God. We teach that the purpose of the incarnation was to reveal God, redeem man, and rule over God's kingdom. So three three parts of that to redeem. To reveal God, redeem men, and rule over God's kingdom. Psalm 2, verses 79. I will surely tell of the degree of Yahweh. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will, I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and you shall shatter them like a potter's vessel. And we were, we were talking about this very verse uh, last week and how the Lord will come. So remember those three things. The Lord, sometimes we get so focused on salvation, we uh, just we think that the incarnation was just simply to, to save us, but it wasn't just to save us. Wrapped up in saving us is re the revelation of God, so we would know who God is, and ruling over uh, God's kingdom. And then also Isaiah 9, 6, uh, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, 
and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. So the, again, those, those titles can only reside in um, someone who is God. And yet this is a child that will be born to us. So you see the, the, uh, both the humanity and the divinity of the Son of God being, being spoken of here. Right? This is to reveal uh, God and to, re- to rule over his kingdom, to redeem us. Uh, John 1.9 uh, on the next day, Jesus, he saw, this is John the Baptist, he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So uh, Jesus is spoken of as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He died in our place. So there's a lot of imagery there with the Passover lambs of the Old Testament of Israel. They, those lambs, were, all those sacrifices were given to atone for sins, but ultimately they were only temporary measures. Uh, the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin, so it requires the death of a human, but not just any human, it requires the death of a perfect human. And so that requires uh, the incarnation, like we mentioned, about, uh, mentioned that last week, but in order for him to be the Lamb of God, he had to be sinless and spotless. And that only Jesus Christ meets that qualification. Uh, we teach, again, this is continuing on with the idea, we teach uh, the purpose of the incarnation is to reveal God, redeem men, and rule over God's kingdom. And in Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11, Therefore God also highly exalted him, that is, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And not all the time, but very frequently when the New Testament writers use the word Lord, they're not simply saying that Jesus is is master. They are saying that Jesus is God, is Yahweh. So, you know, pay attention, and there's key texts, and, and the context will help you, and this is one of those, and that's why in the, in the Legacy Standard Bible, you see the, the capital Lord in the translation, so that, I didn't do that, that's, that's Legacy Standard Bible, They're trying to help you see that, that based on the context, right, they are declaring, here Paul is declaring that Jesus is Yahweh to the glory of God the Father, and this the fact that Jesus, that every knee will bow, is not saying every person is going to be saved. It's simply going to. It's simply a statement of Jesus' full uh, rule over everyone. It, it's a. It's a statement that mirrors what we were learning a couple weeks ago in Ephesians chapter one. We looked at verses nine and ten, where it t- says that that Paul, that God is going, the Father is going to sum up everything. In, in him, that is in Christ. So he will rule over all and he will crush his enemies and bring them to judgment. And for those who have, have bowed the knee to him, those who are his children, then he will rescue us. And we will gladly, willingly, and joyfully bow the knee to him. Um, but his enemies, those who deny him, will, will bow the knee simply because of his greatness, of his authority, his holiness, and his power. In Hebrews 7, verses 25 and 26 also support this. He, therefore, he is able to save forever 
those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Just think about that when you're tempted to doubt your salvation. Now, there's good reasons to doubt your salvation. If you're pursuing sin and things like that, then it's good reason to give cause. But the reality is all of us wrestle with sin. None of us are free from that. So it can be very discouraging. Uh, Pastor MacArthur and other theologians have said if it were possible for us to lose our salvation, we would. And the reason you can't lose your salvation is just think about this statement. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he is always, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Notice those statements that to save forever. And in the next line, he always lives to make intercession for them. So we have such an advocate. We have such a helper who died for us and is able to save us. And someone might say, well, he's able, but is he willing? Well, he's willing if you will come to him. That's what his word says. He's not going to turn anybody away. He, he doesn't do the Heisman maneuver where he kind of like fakes you this way and then gives you the long arm that way. So he's, if if you are coming to him, he's not going to reject you. So just remember that, to flee to him. He will save forever because he always lives to make intercession for them. That's, that's our God. This is our Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. And he, didn't, he didn't die just to make salvation potential. He, he died to draw sinners to real salvation and redemption in him. That's the Savior we serve. And then 1 Peter builds on this. 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. And if you address as Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your sojourn, knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your futile conduct inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, which really just solidifies for us our, the ground of our salvation is never our obedience because that would just be uh, like shifting sand, It'd like trying to build a house on sand next to a, a rushing river. It would just be futile. But our salvation is based upon this spotless lamb, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Um, through his death, through his blood, we are redeemed and saved. And made children of God. And because of that, Paul uh, Peter's arguing there, we are to live in a way that glorifies him. We seek to live um, for his glory, to conduct ourselves in fear during the time of our sojourn. Notice how he puts, how he puts the word. It, this, our lives here are just a, a sojourn. They're just, it's just temporary. So we are living here, uh, awaiting our Lord's return, awaiting the eternal state. Which, which will really be home with our Lord and our God. I'll pause for uh, questions in a moment. So if you have questions, just write them down or something so you don't forget them. We teach that in the incarnation, the second person of the Trinity laid aside his right to the full prerogatives of coexistence with God and took on an existence appropriate to a servant while never divesting himself of his divine attributes. 
It's very important that he set aside his right to the to full prerogatives of coexistence with God and took on an existence appropriate to a servant while never divesting himself of his divine attributes. Now, Philippians 2 speaks to this, kind of dovetails with the other passage we were talking about um, just a little bit further. Have, have this way of thinking in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, although existing in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a slave, by being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Notice that passage. It's really, he's, Paul is exhorting us to live as Christ lived. So he's arguing from the greater, is it greater to the lesser. That's the type of argument that he's using. He's saying Christ, who was Lord over all, God over all, came to earth and he lived as a servant. And, and he's, he's drawing this contrast between the heights of, of God and the lowness of which Christ came and humbled himself. And don't think for a minute that the emptied himself is emptying himself of any kind of Godhead. He explains what he means by emptied himself by the next phrase, by taking the form of a slave. So if Christ, who is Lord over all, is willing to come be slave and humble himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the humiliating death on the cross, and we have no, no excuse, is what Paul is saying. If, if Christ did this for us, then we can live humbly with one another. And that's why he's arguing uh, this point. But it's beautiful that he did that in this context where he's arguing about us serving one another. He gives us a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ did for us. That he humbled himself, became a servant, uh, humbling himself to the point of death. Um, even death on a cross. And he, he did that for us. All the while still being fully God. He didn't give up anything. He didn't become half God. He didn't become a demigod. He was fully God uh, the 100% time that he was on earth. Let me just pause there and see if there are questions. Reflect upon this. Wrestle with this. I like to get us thinking about these things. Not just give you a bunch of verses and then give you death by PowerPoint and put you to sleep. Get you thinking. Keith. Um, the word, word incarnate isn't in the LSB Bible. Um, could you just refresh our memories what incarnate the word means as a theological could Yes. You explain that real quick? Yes. The, the incarnate means God with us. It's that, that, that God has become human. So uh, Jesus Christ born of a virgin, is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. He's God incarnate. So in the flesh, he is God. Thanks for asking. Thanks for clarifying that. Other questions? It was either so clear 
or so confusing, <laughs> and I'm not sure which. <laughs> oh, is, is there a hand? You've got to raise it high so I can see you. Thank you. Lisa. One of those was ruling, ruling the kingdom. Yes. Is that a reference to rule over God's kingdom? Is that a reference to an eventual, the eventual physical kingdom? Or is that in a spiritual sense? Is it both? Yeah, so the question is, with when talking about the purpose, one of the purposes of the incarnation is to rule over the kingdom. Is that a spiritual kingdom, physical kingdom, or both? And I... I um, see this along with Scripture. Ultimately, it's both. Um, but there is a, we tend to think of a spiritual realm as totally separate from the earthly realm. And we're looking at it as a summary statement. So when we get to the section on eschatology, we'll see that there's, there's stages to this and there's a, there's a millennial kingdom that Christ reigns over, and then there's the eternal state that Christ reigns over. So the statement is that we're making now is just a summary statement saying he's he will rule over over all everything all time. But when we get to the section on eschatology, then we'll divide it out and go more into detail with that. But it but it certainly includes the millennial kingdom, but it's not limited to that. It's also in the eternal state. Alex. Hopefully I'm going to ask this without sounding like a goofball. You know, the stupid question is the one you don't ask, so yeah. go ahead. No, I, I, I thought that only there are no stupid questions, only stupid people asking questions. No, no, that's not <laughs> I didn't say that, you didn't. <laughs> so, um, when God, well, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, and he says, I will give you all this I just saw that on the psalm. It says that he was already going to give that to him. So why wouldn't Jesus say, hey, why would I worship you? <laughs> this is already mine. I'm just waiting Correct. For, for that to come instead of just saying, like, hey, I'm supposed to honor honor God and only serve him. Right. So, so is, in, there, is there a reason why he didn't use psalm as time? Yeah. The, well, the, the reason, so just to restate it for the recording. So the question is why... Why was uh, the devil's temptation? And one of his temptations is that he says to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will just bow down and worship me. And why was that such a temptation? Uh, because he's already promised in Psalm 2, given the kingdom. The reason it's a temptation is because Satan, the, Satan promised, of course he's a liar, but he promised to do that without the cross. So he was offering Jesus, the Son of God, a throne with no cross, which really wouldn't have been a, any kind of throne at all. It's the same kind of same kind of lies that Satan tells um, you and, and me, and he's, he wants us to doubt God's word. So Jesus needed to demonstrate his trust in God's word that he would rule over all, but God's way through the cross. And it would be an exaltation, there would be glory to follow, but only after humiliation. Or Satan was offering the easy road, right, straight to glory. That makes sense? Good question.
Wasn't a dumb question. Yeah, Joe. All cults and cult systems and belief systems invariably can funnel back to stripping Jesus Christ of his They can do that. Although the case for their religious systems, works based systems, or God's theories. Yeah, and it's important that you know what you believe about the Son of God and, and why. Because you will be challenged at times by, by um, co-workers, but you could also be challenged by um, cults. And most cults will hide who they are. They'll, they'll want to seem very Christian-like, whether it's Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses or you can fill in the blank. Uh, just really, you can know them by what they teach about Jesus Christ, just as you were saying, Joe. There'll be distortions about that. But if you don't know the word, what the Word of God teaches about the Son of God well enough, it's easy, it's easy for you to be pulled astray. Yep. Hakum? Yeah, so it, w w you're asking why, why, why? Yeah, what is it about Jesus being God? So why is it why is it um, important that we that Jesus was God and not just a, a wise teacher? And so even liberal churches who have rejected all miracles will believe that Jesus is a, was a good teacher. He's a moral teacher. Um, but a moral teacher can't save you. They're required, and we'll get more into this when we talk about the area of salvation soteriology. But <clears throat> it was it was very important, in fact, essential that Jesus be God, so that as he that he number one he could be sinless, number two that, that as he goes to the cross that he dies in your place. So unless he's sinless then he's just dying for his sins. But because he is sinless, he can take on your sins. And because he's God, then his worth is, his death is of infinite value and can redeem all those who ever believe in him. You know, I, I could only die for one other person trying to save them. If someone's going to get like, hit by a car, I can rush out and push them out of the way, but I only save one. Right? So it's it's the idea that with um, Christ, who is who is sinless, he's fully man, and yet God, his death is of infinite value to redeem humanity. So we do need a good example. We do need good teacher, uh, the good teacher, but we need a redeemer, and that requires God. Right. So, good question. Is there another hand? Keith. And Pastor... Also to clarify, Jesus remains incarnate. He remains incarnate, absolutely. He will for all eternity. He will for all eternity. Yeah, taking this on permanently. He will. That is that is a permanent change. So 
Christ did not just take on humanity for a short time, but he is now God incarnate forever. And when you see him in heaven, you will be able to see the scars just as the disciples saw them, right? And he does that as a vivid reminder of the price that he paid to redeem me. So he could have had a glorified body without those scars, should he want to do that. But he chose not to do that. So you would, you and I would have a forever remembrance of what he did, the price he paid for us. That's pretty powerful. Those those marks in his hand, he's taken them on for all eternity for me. Correct. That's yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's pretty humbling. It is. It is. That God would do that for we who don't deserve any of that. We don't deserve any of that. But he did it. Well, let's just um, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus, we praise you that you have uh, won the victory over temptation and sin. We thank you for holding strong and, and going through the, the trials and temptations, the temptations that Satan threw at you. Thank you for being faithful to the word of, the, of God. Thank you for pursuing the Father's plan through the cross, through the agony and humiliation of the cross, that you bore that for the joy set before you, the joy of doing the Father's will, the joy of redeeming the people the Father has given to you. Oh, Lord God, you you are so wonderful and gracious and kind and, and loving. Spirit, we thank you for your work and that you are at work in our lives, conforming us to the image of Christ. That as we look at, at the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his great humiliation, that you are helping us to apply that to our lives, to learn how to be servants of one another, to sacrificially serve one another, and to live for the glory of our great God our great God and Savior, who has redeemed us with an eternal redemption, eternal salvation. Jesus, thank you that you always live to intercede on our behalf. There's never a time when we are outside of your shepherding care or beyond your ability to help us, to guide us, to lead us, to care for us and protect us. Lord God, help us to remember these things, to be encouraged by you and, and to live for your glory. And we just pray, Lord, that you would make this church to be a, a bastion of sound Christology, that we would preach and proclaim the Christ who is Lord, who is God, the Christ of the scriptures, the Christ who saves and redeems, and the Christ who shows us who God is, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who will indeed rule over all. Lord God, we Look forward to the day when we will just jump to our knees and bow our heads before you, where our faith will be sight and we will see you. What a joy that day will be. A day without sin in our lives, a day without stain, a day without embarrassment. Oh Lord, just do your work in our lives for your glory and your honor. In your name we pray.
Amen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to stop there because otherwise it'll just keep rolling and I'll go too long. Thanks for listening to the pulpit ministry of Medina Bible Church in Medina, Ohio. You can find church information, a complete sermon library, and other helpful materials at medinabible.org. This message is copyrighted by Medina Bible Church. All rights reserved.